Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 37 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So we have a special episode for you today. You're going to get to hear a quick call that I had with one of our previous clients, Dr. Brian Dolly. He purchased a practice in the Northeast and is about five months into practice ownership. So super fresh, but far enough in to give and have some perspective over the process and things that he expected and some things that he didn't. It was such a joy and pleasure to catch up with him, one of my favorite clients. And so I hope you enjoy this episode about what happens next. Thanks for joining me, Brian. Hey, Christy. Good to talk to you again. Absolutely. So you are a new practice owner. How long ago did you become part of the ownership world? So we closed July 29th to the Monday. So my first day in the clinic was July 30th. So it's not quite six months. Okay. So you are probably still in the thick of it. How are you feeling kind of being five months in? You know, there was a bit of a whirlwind of administrative tasks that I knew would come up, but I didn't know what they would be. So everything from buying a new sign, getting a new website online, getting a retirement plan established, uh, an employee handbook. There's a number of things that we kind of put our head down and bulldoze through, but time has flown by. I think the hardest part is meeting each patient and trying to give good first impressions for six months straight. Yeah, constantly being on. Yeah, I was going to say, I noticed out of all the list of things that have kind of probably taken up a lot of your time, I know you've been doing some dentistry in there too, but I noticed that clinically, it didn't seem as though any of the hurdles you were talking about were more clinically, they were more admin. Would you say that was accurate? Yeah, I mean, dentistry is the fun part. Yeah. It's the part I think I'm best at transitioning from associate to owner where you have skin in the game for every aspect of it. I don't doubt that you've put on a good face for the last six months. And I know that a lot of our buyers, and I think you had a little bit of this too, are just like, how are they going to react? Like how are patients going to react? What has been kind of the feeling you've gotten from them? I feel like it's been overwhelmingly positive. The guy that I bought the practice from is now working as my associate. Mm -hmm. He is 68. And so his, you know, extension of a good recommendation, the transition letter was super important. Keeping him around, you know, a lot of people kind of warned me that this could potentially become a headache, but that's all gone much smoother than, basically as smooth as I ever could have hoped for. So the patients have been really receptive for the most part. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. What about staff? I know a lot of buyers are also worried about staff and kind of the resistance there. They've been with, you know, their senior doc for probably a very long time and there's a loyalty there. How has kind of that staff, your transition to kind of being the owner, the boss, how has that gone? I think it's gone great. With the exception of one assistant who had to leave for family reasons, they're having a new baby, and I don't know if she's going to continue working or not, but everyone has stayed on. I think when a new guy comes in, you know, for a bunch of reasons, I didn't meet any of the staff until the deal had closed. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of nervousness and anxiety, I think, on their part. But I don't think they realized that I was just as scared of them as they were of me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking to you guys and listening to your podcast and going to three years of Charles Loretto lectures, I, <laughs> I knew that I wanted to change as little as possible. Yep. And I wanted to keep the staff intact because I know that they want to walk in the door and see the same 
faces. They want to see their same hygienist. So it was really important for me that the staff stick around. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, with the, but the ice was broken quickly. I think it's going to be gone. Good. And you alluded to my next questions, which is what have you changed? Has there been any technology or processes or anything really? Like, have you changed anything in the last five months? And do you have plans on changing anything as you kind of look at the next 2020 and as we enter this year? So it's interesting. I was coming from kind of an old school office. It was a successful operation. The owner had three practices actually, but technology hadn't been updated in a long time. We're talking paper charts, no CAD cam dentistry, no laser dentistry, just very much, you know, we're talking block temps, old school. So when I came into this opportunity that I ended up buying the practice, I'm kind of playing a little bit of catch up. If you want full disclosure, I have trained in CEREC. I have taken courses in CEREC, but I haven't put on more than two or three fixed cases in my five years of associateship. So it's really a lot easier than you'd expect to get into these things on the fly. But um, I haven't felt the need to add any big technologies because this office is pretty souped up. I know we had talked about a little bit about that, about the change in the practice you came from to this one during kind of our diligence and our initial conversations. I know you're aware of that, but was it the adjustment that you expected? Was it a surprise at all? Was there any part of that adjustment that you hadn't anticipated from just kind of doing your own legwork and talking to the senior doc enough beforehand? No, I felt like, so I'm not foolish enough to think that the way that I do each procedure is the best way. It's the way I'm comfortable with and the way that's been clinically successful, but I kind of approached the first two to three months as, hey, I'm going to try these new adhesives. I'm going to try these new impression materials. And then after I've gotten a fair impression of all of them, I can pick if I like these new materials better or the ones that I was used to. So I've kind of been using the senior doc as a bit of a mentor. Yep. I guess I shouldn't say I'm using him, but it's been a great learning experience for sure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's what hopefully in a good transition, I mean, that's what at least I know our hope is, is that senior doc is going to be around that one, they're supportive and that, you know, they've been doing this a long time and there are probably little bits that you both can learn from each other so I think that is the best case scenario so you were a very prepared buyer I will say we work with a lot of buyers and you were one of the most prepared I'm worried that your answer is going to be nothing but what was your biggest surprise like out of the process if you just kind of think back from finding this opportunity through kind of today what would you say is your biggest surprise of the process? Like something that you either didn't anticipate or kind of did anticipate, but were still kind of surprised by the outcome? From finding the practice to close, you mean, or since we've been there? Yeah, so- let's split it up into two. From finding the practice until you close and then from close to now. What were the two surprising things for you? So yeah, I mean, I tried to do my homework on the process. You know, I knew the major pieces that would play into the due diligence process. I thought I knew more than I actually did about the order of operations. So the area I am, without being too specific, we'll call it close to Boston. There are so many young dentists coming out of three Boston dental schools. So there really aren't many practices that are on the market for long. Unless, you know, the dentist is essentially on cruise control and you have to look at some sort of revamping of a practice that often produces, you have to kind of jump on opportunities really quickly if you're fortunate enough to come across a good one. And so I was harassing brokers every couple of weeks that would make the rounds. And I would get the same thing. Oh, nothing now, but we're expecting a few to come on within the next two or three weeks. And months turned into a year, into two years, and I was getting a little bit frustrated and considering startup. And then once the practice that I found came along, everything moved really, really quickly. 
I would say the biggest surprise is that you probably are capable of buying more of a practice than you initially thought. So, you know, there are liquidity requirements that everyone is terrified of because of their massive student loan bills. How am I supposed to save up this big chunk of change to buy a million dollar practice? And there are resources and companies out there who know you're going to be successful. And I was really surprised that I could afford to buy the size of practice I did. Yeah, I think that's a big misnomer and I think it's a big fear that a lot of people play on of you can't do this because how in the world are you going to save up and know, um, I know we stress it and I know you, I think, knew this and this purchase kind of reinforced it, which is the practice you're purchasing plays a huge role in what you can do and the cash flows and just your education and kind of your plan and kind of your go-getter attitude, I think helps in that too. So I think that is very true. What about after closing to now? you're new in the game just to expand on that a little bit because everyone has their own situation going on at home yeah i have two young kids and you know coming out of school with four hundred and fifty thousand dollars of debt my first priority was i have to buy a house so that my kids can have a backyard in a neighborhood to grow up in and then you get settled and you think okay now how am i going to save up this chunk of change when i have this mortgage and these people <laughs> That is something that is used to keep associates handcuffed. And we hear in the news all the time, millennials are not doing as well as their parents' generation did, or millennials need help with funding so that they can afford a wedding. So these things are known by the older generation, and a lot of people are getting strung along a little bit. And I think that if you get the right broker, and if you talk to the right folks, you can do this a lot more quickly than you think. Preaching to the choir, but preach to the choir. (laughs) I think that's a really important message because I do think it's something that you use the word handcuff and I do feel like people come out and they just feel as though the only option is to stay an associate and build up money and try to save but it's almost kind of a chicken before the egg. It's really hard to save up money when you don't kind of have the capacity and cash flow opportunity of some of the ownership opportunities. They're not all great when we talk about that. And I know you looked at probably a lot of frogs before you found your good opportunity. So good. No, I totally agree. Anything else that kind of is surprising after you became an owner? All I know is my personal story, besides listening to the stories that I hear on an NDP podcast. But the seller was a pretty tough negotiator. I was expecting, after the due diligence and just the back and forth from my attorney and their team, I was expecting to have a difficult six-month work relationship. But after the papers were signed, it was like a complete 180-degree role reversal. All of a sudden it was, you're the boss now. I won't say anything to the employees without your say-so. If I ever do anything to undermine you, I should be the first to know. That's the last thing I want to do. So the biggest surprise was don't let the stressful atmosphere of negotiation lead you to jump to conclusions about how your working relationship will be. It's a tough, tough negotiation, but honestly a great He's my associate, but it's essentially a, a partnership in decision-making, so that's been great. Oh my gosh, I love it. So you're saying there's emotion in the transition process, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Imagine. I mean, how many times did I call you up in a panic, Christy, because I thought, like, the deal was falling apart. It's falling from a practice. 
<laughs> and now this little thing is, is just the stress of buying a house times three, probably. Yeah, we say it's probably the largest financial transaction you'll have in your life outside of a house. And even if the house is more expensive, I do think just the human component of this and just the emotion. And, you know, oftentimes these sellers have built this thing. It's their professional baby. So I'm so glad to hear you guys are humming along there and doing well together. That makes me very, very happy. Okay, so much like an interview question, you know, your best and worst. What is the one thing that you wish you would have done during your diligence or kind of the process, right? Like up to close, right? Most buyers are only going to do this one time in their life and that leads to a lot of newness and a lot of unknowns. And I think there's always kind of probably something, even if it wasn't a negative thing, what is the one thing you wish you would have done during the process looking back on it now? So there were a couple of buyers that got cold feet at the last second before I came along. And in retrospect, I'm glad they did because I wouldn't have had the opportunity. But in my desire to show that I was serious about pursuing the opportunity, I met with the seller and the seller's broker before I had gone over the letter of intent with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like in my willingness to want to get the deal done, might have conceded a few points that could have been negotiated a lot better later on. A couple of those things just so I'm not so vague about it. The office building was for sale with the practice, but because it was such an expensive practice, I wouldn't be able to buy the office at the same time. And so I wanted to maybe negotiate a way that I could pay down the purchase price of the office with the lease payments that I was making. But by the time we had gotten to a point where those things were able to be negotiated, I had already pigeonholed myself a bit when it came to the prices that we were paying, even things like the breakdown of assets versus goodwill. So I feel like if I could do it all over again, I would have pumped the brakes a little bit and gotten you guys on the horn early and often before I, I had signed any letter of intent because it's very difficult to go back and retroactively negotiate things that you've already kind of agree to verbally. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. And not because of your situation, but because that happens so often and it is hard. And I think the podcast has been great, but we've actually gotten some people that have been like, okay, well, I've been talking to the seller for, you know, based on the podcast, I've been doing kind of do my own thing. And there always is, especially in this process, because it's emotional. Once you say the thing, right? Like even if it's uneducated and it was just in passing, it's almost like the seller or the seller's broker sometimes latches onto those things like a price, right? It's really hard to go back and renegotiate things once you've said them. And I think it's because of the emotion of the process. It's hard to go back and be like, well, you know, I didn't know everything or I wasn't sure what you meant when you said that. So I completely agree with you that just taking a little bit of time and just being thoughtful and making sure that you understand all the components and how they fit together can probably save you some headache and some heartburn down the road. Okay, flip side, what do you think is the best thing that you did in the transition process looking back? And you may not have known it at the time, but just kind of in hindsight, what's the best part? So now that I've seen six months of revenue, I took your advice by not letting my emotions get the best of me. We paid well over market value for this practice. Mm-hmm. So what are you saying? Uh, general dentists in the Northeast, it's like 85% of collections, right? Yep. Is that, is that a typical average? Yeah. I think we paid like 103%. And, you know, a lot of people would have just walked away from the deal. But the seller's broker said, Brian, run the numbers, talk to your people, and think about it. I've been doing this 30 years. This is one of the best practices I've ever seen. And so I said, of course, the seller's broker will tell We'll say that. Um, he's trying to make a sale for his client. 
Uh, we dug into the numbers. You guys ran all these cash flow analyses. There was three different methods. Everything checked out. And I'm thinking, okay, if I overpay by $150,000, is walking away from it going to make my situation any better? And I mean, in six months, I've already more than doubled my income as an associate. And um, I think there's just room for growth. Yeah. Well, and I think you yeah, also thing is don't get sticker shock. Don't get sticker shock. Yeah. And I think it's also you had a little bit of perspective in the fact that you had looked at other offices and seen other numbers. I think that if this had been the first opportunity you looked at, it probably would not have been as easy for you to have that kind of perspective and that vision. But I think also once you've seen a few opportunities and you've looked at them, it's easier to identify the opportunity and easier to kind of have that back and forth with yourself and kind of understanding like what your line was and what am I willing to risk for what level of opportunity on the other side. So you were very good about doing that. And clearly there was still some hesitation and clearly a little bit of like prove that this works. But I think overall, I think the time that you put into looking for practices and looking at opportunities, I think really paid off in that way too. Yeah, I mean, that's always a fear. If you're going house hunting and the first house you see is great, I mean, maybe that is the house for you. But if you look at no other houses, how will you ever know what to compare it to? Yeah. And of course, I'm not an advocate of overpaying. No. I'm just saying, if you're going to pay 85% of collections in net 250, I'd much rather pay 100% in net 500. You know, you make your money back quickly as long as you can do the dentistry. Absolutely. Okay, you've been so generous with your time today. I know you are super busy. So I'll finish off with this kind of last question. So what is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone thinking about ownership or about to jump into this transition process? I mean... For fear of redundancy, I haven't listened for a few months because I've been busy trying to run a business, but... <laughs> trying um, to grow it. Other, yeah, yeah, other people must have said that, you know, you gotta not let fear be the thing that stands in your way. You know, the owner of the practice I worked for for five years said, I've had lots of associates go out and try to do it on their own and they all end up coming back and, you know, it's a tough market out there and I just... If I had found this practice two years earlier, I hope I would have had the courage to jump in. But I would just say, keep looking. If you're in a highly competitive area, don't be afraid to hound brokers because they have 50 other dentists that are calling them. Be annoying if you have to and make sure that you're on the short call list. And it'll end up coming around if you keep your nose down. Awesome. Well, I can't wait. I know you're only five months in. And so I look forward to, can we make another phone date six months from now? Can I call you back and we can check in and see how things are going one year into ownership? I'd love that. I I tell you what, Christy, I cannot wait to start seeing everyone for their second recall visit. Uh, Well, I'm looking forward to it too. I've had a smile on my face this whole time we've been talking. It's so good to hear from you. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. And, you know, if you have any buddies, send them our way. For sure. Tell right. Mr. Loretto I say hello. We will. Have a wonderful day. Okay, bye, Chrissy. So that was fun. Thanks so much for joining us today. And remember, you can own. And we hope these little interviews with previous clients show you and give you just a smidge more of confidence that you can do it. So remember, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast, like us on social media. Until next time, friends.